prescient, profound, and provocative, Othello remains one of Shakespeare's most enduring and controversial plays, now in a time of political uncertainty, rising populism and social fracture, it's been reinvented again. Welcome to The Othello Project. The Othello Project is an artistic response to the Shakespeare at Tobacco Factory and English Touring Theatre's new production of Othello, directed by Richard Twyman, which completed its run at London's Wilton's Music Hall on the 3rd of June. The project is generously supported by Amal, an initiative of the Saeed Foundation. I'm your host, journalist Abdul Rahman Malik, and I've also been a creative advisor to the production. In each of these episodes, we've been exploring some of the powerful themes, issues, and fault lines that Othello raises. In this, what is supposed to be our final episode, we convene a council of thinkers, wise, artistic storytellers who take us deep into the issues that this production raises and more than that they make Othello relevant to the day-to-day experience particularly of Muslims here in the United Kingdom. We're joined by veteran activist Homera Khan, journalist Ramona Ali and cultural producer Tanya Munira Williams who's one half of the acclaimed hip-hop duo Poetic Pilgrimage. We started by exploring what Othello has meant to Homera, Ramona, and Munira in the past. What was the personal baggage? What were the personal ideas? What were the personal experiences of Othello that they brought to this production? And what did this production mean to them? This is a conversation you won't want to miss. I think one of the really exciting things about Richard Twyman's uh, production of uh, Othello is that audiences that have seen it so far leave feeling a lot and thinking a lot and frankly talking a lot. And, And they leave talking about so many issues and so many quandaries and so many fault lines that the production feels ever the more fresh and, 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 and relevant. And and Ramona, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kinda kick it off with you because uh, when before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the Othello that you remember yeah. studying yeah. Uh, when you were when you were in school. Yes. And yeah. and you always you said you that you always found Othello a a a compelling a compelling play. Definitely. And why, 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 why do you find it a compelling play? And what kind of intrigues you about what we're doing with the play mm. now? Well, Othello is definitely probably one of my top uh, plays by Shakespeare. And I was so drawn to Othello because he was a Moor. He's the Moor of Venice. And I used to pore over each line of the play, looking for all the references that would nod to his Muslim heritage. And, uh, you know, just I wanted to feel that that um, resonance with him. And I think that Othello does resonate throughout the, throughout the centuries it has. And that's why we keep getting these re- productions that revisit uh, the, the figure of Othello. You know, he, it's compelling because it's it is about identity. It's a. It's about love. It's about revenge. It's about the other. You know. So it's. It's actually even more relevant than it has ever been today. What does the teenage Ramona <laughs> remember most about the Othello she read then? And I wonder if it's the thing that you connect to now. Gosh, the the thing that really, really was uh, hitting to me, it really gave, gave me an impact, was that he was in a completely different world. He mm. was an outsider and he was trying so hard to fit in. But, you know, he was the what we might call the good immigrant. There's this book um, that's that's come out recently. And Riz Ahmed actually wrote uh, in this book saying that, you know, he can one minute be on the red carpet and being photographed and you know being packed and then another another time he can be in an airport and he's being searched as a suspected terrorist so we keep having this dichotomy and this kind of like we have to fit in we have to be a good immigrant but um you know essentially we have to just embrace who we are and that is that we have multiple identities. It's interesting you say that because I when, when I when I went to one of the one of the mm. first I guess full dress rehearsals of this particular production I too was struck by the idea mm. of, of 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 the good assimilated um, Venetian client mm. because there, there mm. 
in 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 in, in this version of Othello in particular, you really feel like like he's controlling himself. You know, he's he's abused a lot in that mm. first twenty or thirty minutes of the play. Mm. You know, he, yeah. uh, in the, the the language of the play, something like um, Iago says to uh, ba- uh, Barbantia, the the, the the father of yeah, Desdemona, the father of that your the, the the black ram is tupping, tupping the yeah. white you. I yeah, mean, that it, was oh, that was powerful. Yeah, that was like a, that was dangerous. That was that was disgusting as well. It was yeah, it was a sexually it's like this slap in the yeah, face, and yeah, well, and then then. Then the father mm. doesn't want his father comes railing about mm. you have done black magic, mm. you have taken over her mind, mm. you moor, you and and all of a sudden there's an ugliness mm. yeah. that takes place. And then then you know there comes Othello into the court of the Duke and and they're also happy to see him because the Turks are the Turks are about to take Cyprus again. But all of a sudden that falls apart the moment his relationship with Desdemona is revealed. And and I feel like. Othello restrains himself so much. He's so polite. He's he's so um he honors that, that's when he's actually in control. Yeah. You know, and that's that's rare because you see this this undoing of Othello through Iago throughout the play. And at that time he's he's measured. He he even like refers to himself in the third person. Like he he thinks of himself as magnanimous and great. And that is what makes his downfall even more tragic. You know, so the way that Iago undoes him slowly through things like the handkerchief, through these little cunning plans of Iago, it's actually, it's really disturbing. I find it very disturbing because it's this, it's almost like, I don't know if it's controversial for me to say this, but like Iago's radicalized Othello to, you know, the, he's used his own insecurities against him. Mm-hmm. And he's brought, and, and this is what we all go through all the time. We're questioning who we are about our belonging, about loyalty as well, all the time as, as Muslims in Britain. Yeah. And, so. I, and, and I, we're, we're mm-hmm. going to come back to that because mm-hmm. there's also that element that, that, that in the, in the end, this is a, this is a man who, who questions the fidelity mm. of his wife. And it's a man who violently murders his wife. Mm. And for me, that, that'll that always be one of those disturbing, you know, that's, it's one of those disturbing mm. turns, you know, mm. and, and we, we don't, we don't want Othello to be no. that person. No. Um, but, but in some ways he, he, he ends up becoming that person. Well, yeah, he, he self-destructs. You're absolutely right. He does. He does self-destruct, and I and I think there's. It's painful watching that. It's pa- it, it's it painful. It is painful. It's an uncomfortable play in really so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Really uncomfortable. It really, it's unnerving. It's it's disturbing, and you you always want him to just see the light and go. No, Desdemona is pure. She's innocent, but he just he slowly he he descends. He spirals down into uh, suspicion and mm. fear. And those are words that we hear a lot these days as well are around uh, the Muslim identity. Well, I think as well. I mean fear is such a powerful mm. emotion. I'm, I'm going to bring um, Munira in, into the conversation. Um, Munira, you, in some ways, your journey as a as an artist, mm-hmm. as a, as as a, as a poet, as an activist, mm. um, has been about confronting fear. Indeed. And, and in, in a way, um, finding a language and, and, and a way of, of representing yourself in the fullest sense of, of who you are. And I, I've, been, I've been honored in many ways to, to be able to kind of be with you on part of that uh, journey at times. And, and um, I've always been so taken by the power of your art um, and the way you confront a lot of really difficult personal issues, social issues. And, and I wonder if what Ramona is saying around, around fear, and particularly this idea of, of, of belonging and not belonging, and if, if those things resonate with you and your, and your craft. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, thinking about Othello, generally speaking, I mean, like, I guess I had a different relationship growing up, um, you know, growing up and when I was in school and then in college, you know, I didn't relate to Othello at all. And it's interesting, I, I think the things that pull me now are the things that, like, I just, you know, didn't, were completely unaware of when growing up and when hearing about Othello and reading Othello, I just couldn't connect with it at all. And what I really like about it now as an adult is just how it connects to people and how it, you know, so many different people 
people, people of different backgrounds, different religions, different races. It has the ability to connect with all of these people, right? Because there's so many different themes in there. And I think, you know, in terms of what I try to do in my work and, you know, in looking at Othello as a character, just the various different things that he has to come um, confront, you know, um, to do with... Uh, you know, to do with religion, I think to do with the race as well. Although I guess how we understand race now would be completely different to how we understand blackness and race then. But like still, you know, me looking at Othello as a character and thinking how does it relate to my life? I definitely, that part of it definitely resonates with me, you know, and um, I definitely relate to the whole idea of trying to be your best and not sure how to, not sure how to be within society. I feel like that for myself um, as a woman, you know, um, as a Muslim, you know, even as a Muslim who has converted and who was black and all of these different things, you know, like I feel like I have all of these different things that I have to convert and I'm constantly checking, like, am I being appropriate? Mm. Am I being, you know, the way how I'm supposed to be? Is this the way how I'm supposed to behave? Do I fit in here? Where do I fit in? To the point where I finally just come to um, a resolution in myself. And I guess it's, it's, it changes every day, but I think I've come to, I've resolved that within myself and just try to be, well, not even try to be, I just am, you know? Mm. I think looking at Othello, you know, it's really sad because, you know, if we were to look at him today, we may even say, does this dude have mental health issues, you know? Yeah, it's but, true. It's you, true. It, it, it is true, you know, because yeah. when you think about him and like, you know, you know, he's constantly has these different things thrown up in his face, you know, he starts to feel insecure about himself and just thinking about his position within the army, him being a Muslim, you know, how long would it have taken him to get to that position? So he was probably older as well, slightly older. So you have this old sort of like dark skin Muslim man in this like really white space, Christian space, and he still is not good enough. It's still not good enough, you know? So, yeah, I think it definitely raises a lot of things um, about myself. It, for me, the, the play reflects a lot about me to me. Mm-hmm. Do you, now this may seem like a forward question, Munira. Uh-oh. But, <laughs> what, I mean, there must have been times when you've also felt in your work and in yourself not good enough. Yeah, definitely. I have um I have like um um a mantra or affirmation on my wall which I which is I am good enough, I have enough and I do enough because I constantly feel that I'm not good enough, you know. I constantly feel that I'm not good enough and I I've come to a realization that isn't really anything to do with me that's to do with the narratives that people have put onto me so this is something that I I constantly tell myself and just try to reassure myself and remind myself but had I um if I had someone like Iago in my ear (laughs) you know I'm not quite sure how sane I would be or I'm not sure what I would do with that you know but I guess everyone goes through their struggles but I definitely resonated with that it's it's the the thing is that in in it the narratives around us can be so so powerful mm. and and they they either provide the 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 kind of the the cultural water that nourishes us Mm-mm-mm. or it's kind of the salt water that that takes and zaps our 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 energy away and i and i sometimes fear and and you'd have a better sense of this i mean you perform um do workshops engage in artistic space all around the world mm. um and you engage with particularly younger people who are multi-identity multi-language mm. multi-racial multicultural all the time and i wonder if you see the impact of the narratives around them on those on those people for whom you produce your art or you do your workshops or you do your do your teaching completely i mean one thing that i would say certainly that i've noticed and i don't know i I wouldn't say it wasn't there before i mean like i converted to islam like three weeks before the seven seven bombing so i've always lived this islam in a state of um fear and the state of being the other and i remember being this cool girl with a little mohican walking down the street and everyone's like oh you're cool to being this girl with a wrapped hijab and all of a sudden everyone's frightened of me or you know, has abuse, wants to hurl abuse at me. So I remember that extremely clearly. But one thing that I've noticed in the last five years um, is this whole feeling of fear, you know? And it's almost to the point that it is, it's driving people insane. 
it's almost like people can't hold on anymore, you know? It's like people are in a state of despair, both, you know, when relating to Islam and relating to, like, identity and the sort of workshops that I do, you know, this is something that has become really apparent. People just don't know what to do anymore um, and are going to the extremes, you know, whether it be the extremes of, like, you know, leaving the religion or the extremes of um, being hateful towards the religion. I'm always really surprised when I go into cities that are, you know, really metropolitan, cosmopolitan, and just doing simple workshops about stereotypes, you know, and people see me and it's almost like, well, you're a workshop facilitator, so you can't be like the other Muslims, but you show a picture of another Muslim and just the stereotypes that come Mm. out, you know, or even in Muslim circles and you show a a picture of like, you know, a black person, you know, and well, I say black as in non um, English understanding of more black, if that makes sense. But like, you know, and just the stereotypes that come out and even for Muslims thinking about people who aren't Muslims, just the stereotypes and the fears. So it is definitely something that I've noticed much more within the last five years. So I think a play like Othello, you know, something that is a British heritage, but something that can include us all is really relevant in, in this day and time. And I'm, I'm really happy that this and is it's, it's like, you know, the power of art is really in the way that we we reinterpret it, isn't mm. it? I mean, it would be so dull for, for, for certain interpretations to become ossified. And, mm. and I guess that's the same with faith, isn't it? I mean, I think part of the thing that we understand as people of faith is the, the, is the need to renew, Definitely. And and the need to reinvigorate and to mm. the, to reengage with with things that that you know you know sometimes may seem seem a bit stayed or a bit a bit ossified now and and I mean I wonder how how you negotiate Mm-mm. faith and religion in that sense because you came to it as someone who came to Islam and it Mm-mm. must have been. I mean, and, and just before the seven seven attacks, mm-hmm. when when all of a sudden it was the narrative around you, and it was in the media. I imagine people were telling you all kinds of stuff. How do you how did you navigate that? I mean, that's a really difficult question um, because I don't know if I've done anything specifically to navigate. I think. Well, I know that I like human interaction. I like speaking to different people. I like being in different spaces, you know, being uh, British and Jamaican and, you know, um, being Bristolian and Londoner, you know, and traveling to various different places. I like meeting people. And I think just meeting different people in different spaces, you know, having family. My mom, she's like, um, she's she's a minister, you know, she gives christenings and I go to church with her at times, you know. So having all of these different things as my backdrop and meeting different people I think that's what's changed me Mm. I don't know if I've you know went on a path I don't know if I went on a path to say okay um I'm looking to negotiate it's just it's just happened Mm. you are listening to the Othello Project created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amal a project of the Said Foundation Amal provides opportunities for people in Britain, regardless of their faith or beliefs, to come together and explore the rich diversity of Muslim cultures and arts. To find out more about the work of Amal, visit amal.org.uk. That's A-M-A-L dot org dot U-K. Now back to the podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring Humera in, 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 in at this point. Um, Homera, in in some ways, um, uh, not to, not to question the wisdom of Munira and Ramona, you bring both wisdom and experience in many ways to this to this conversation. You know, for over thirty years, you've been involved really in in community development, not just at a policy level, but a cellular level. When I say cellular, on the ground with families, with the messiness of people. Um, that's incredibly hard work and that's incredibly you have to i mean that's heart and soul work and so in some ways um i'm going to ask for your wisdom you know hearing what ramona and and munira have talked about um what what state do you feel this conversation is happening in i mean what 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 do you see happening now that that gives you that gives you hope and what are the things that that really give you pause and might even make you a little bit fearful? I'm I'm actually really happy to be reconsidering Othello at such a time, and it's a play that I never really got into uh, 
in the past, uh, when I studied Shakespeare, uh, it's the one that I really avoided. Uh, but re-looking at it now, particularly with this current reinterpretation, I think it provides a really interesting sliding doors uh, perspective, a sort of polarity of a sort of a relationship we find ourselves in. And I think what's uh, what I'm reading into it now is much more politicised way of looking at it. I mean, there's so many elements to the play. You can draw on all of those things and just zoom in there and stay there and those different single elements. But I think that, uh, in a sense, I think what is interesting about it today uh, to rethink it is that it gives us this opportunity to think that how do people get othered, mm. right? How do we, what is it that uh, allows somebody like Othello to come into the Christian court to be assimilated into it, to accept the faith and be Venetian or whatever and then suddenly he is also seen as an outsider or, or uh, that juxtapositioning is happening uh, at the same time uh, in the minds of people what is what is happening here uh, and therefore and what's happening in his mind he for whatever reason in his life we don't know uh, maybe he was caught into slavery who knows we, any number of things uh, could be the reason why he's now in Venice and he's uh, a Christian uh, so was it uh, done for his own gain has he got a reason uh, was he fleeing something from the Muslim world or whatever what what, what's happening here? It's a really important question to ask in the time of this massive refugee issue we have coming from the Muslim world, conflicts, this ongoing sort of rise of fascism and the right uh, and the way that they are perceived, uh, Muslims are being perceived through those prisms. Um, and what I thought particularly interesting was uh, that often history we're taught very linear. We're not taught history in a multi-dimensional way mm. to say, okay, what was happening at that time? What are the different elements? And we make this assumption, particularly when we look at the race elements or the religion even, is that we're talking at, at a time which is very volatile in European history, right? They, uh, uh, to say that they didn't know people of colour or Muslims is erroneous <laughs> because they've totally. known people of colour yeah. right from the beginning. <laughs> even in the Roman times, the Romans uh, were... In Africa, they were in different parts of the world. So therefore, people and we understand that people from Africa uh, had been found their skeletons in Britain. So you can't say that people of colour aren't known. So the issue is that the people of colour or people of another faith have been othered. And what is the intention behind the othering? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that we have a lot of parallels with what's happening today with the demonising of Islam. Uh, this very difficult relationship that Christian Europe have had, the way they project onto the Muslim world things which are not true, primarily. And uh, for me, this Othello is really saying uh, it's not talking to anybody but the people that wants to influence. It's a sort of Fox News of the medieval period, mm -hmm. going back and wanting to influence people in a negative way. Because we've gone from a period of the Crusades, uh, we've gone to a period, this is written right at the end of the Elizabethan age, and into the new age of colonisation. Mm. Because in the Elizabethan age, while there were still tensions and we had all sorts of things, there was some kind of veneer of diplomacy and uh, and a respect of the Muslim world at a level, a respect and also a demonizing because it's a sort of what we what I've often called uh, from Islamophilia to Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. There was a secret love of Islam. People loved it, but they didn't want to admit it. And because they didn't want to admit it, it's like a love that you have, which is forbidden. Uh, and therefore you end up hating it because you can't really love it. You're not allowed to love it. Mm. So therefore all of these things, I'm sort of re-looking and reinterpreting uh, this new interpretation, particularly mm. from that point of view. How does that, how does that process of othering, do you feel happen? I mean, in your, in, in, in your experience and, and how does it, how does it happen? I, I, I think in some ways we know that it happens, but, but sometimes the mechanics of it I think it would be interesting. It would be interesting to unpick the mechanics of it. My conclusion is that uh, othering happens in a period of instability, mm. period of vulnerability, when there's possibly inequalities in society, and there's somebody or some think or a number of things happening which wants to have more than its fair share. Uh, and I think that um, as far as um, the Muslim world is concerned, is that. No, so the Muslim world in the West, let's say, let's say our recent migrations in Britain, we were invited in. 
So we have this experience of saying, okay, you know, regardless of the history, you're invited in as guests. But initially we were told to assimilate. Mm. So therefore, right from the get-go, you are being told that to be part of this land of golden pavements, (laughs) you have to leave some of you behind. Who you are, you can't take that if you want to benefit and be here. So therefore, these decisions have to be made. And in the beginning, people went along with it because Britain was sort of towards the end of its empire. It was giving up its sort of, you know, lands that it colonized and everything. So therefore, in the minds of the Commonwealth people who came mm. was that this is the people who rule us. We're coming to the land of the rulers. So you accept their authority. So we accepted the idea of assimilation because we didn't have a choice. What the civil rights movements did and what uh, anti-racism and all these movements that did Uh, after that was the idea that we could be equal, the idea that we can all share in something and be who we are in this pluralism. And whether that has happened or not in any meaningful way is the big question of the times that we live. Uh, And I would say it does does happen at a certain level, but whether it happens institutionally is another matter. Mm. So I would say in relation to Othello is that uh, obviously I'm reading and interpreting within what's really not written, is that people were engaging with each other as Christians and Muslims, as uh, Moors and non-Moors or whatever the the combination at an ordinary level. But institutionally, there was a difficulty in acceptance and therefore you get this othering of people. And then it was a hostile demonising of the other. And I think that, you know, even when you think about Iago and he... He's resentful, isn't he, towards Othello for, you know, it's basically, it's like this immigration, the, the, the question of immigration, oh, they're coming over here, they're taking our jobs, they're taking our women, yeah. you know, and this is this is probably how he probably views Othello as well, mm. who is this senior person in the army, uh, he's above uh, Iago, and he's black, and he has Muslim heritage, so it's like, he is this bad immigrant, but he's trying to pose himself as a good immigrant, um, and I think that... And then they take our women. Yeah, that's exactly. the worst There's thing. Nimona, and like, so she can I, only I, I die. Wanna, I want to come she back to die. that because you talked yeah. about forbidden love. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, in this, there is a forbidden love, the love between Desdemona and Othello. But, but I, I don't want to lose this point that you've made, Homera, about about this this paradox. And, and, and I mean, you've also mentioned it now, Ramona, of, of acceptance, welcome, and then rejection. And in our earlier mm-hmm. conversation with Matthew Carr, who's written a book called Blood and Faith and the history of the Moriscos, the Muslims uh, after 1492 who were forcibly converted to Christianity and then 1609 were expelled from the Iberian Peninsula. He made the exact same point and, and it was really fascinating. He, he Almost word for word, uh, the way you put it, he said that on one hand, the Moriscos are forcibly converted to Christianity in order that they become safe and accepted into society. Yet, society does not treat them and will never treat them as equals and will always be suspicious of them. And then there was the third element in the Morisco heritage, which was that they weren't even allowed to leave Spain because they were vital to the workforce. And if they left, the economy would have collapsed. Mm. It's like... It's exactly what you said. You know, there's a welcome. We had an economic value. Mm. Then as that value begins to wane, maybe, we start to... And I mean... Talk about you talked about insane that someone going insane because of the various pressures they're under. This is a recipe for cognitive dissonance at a profound and fundamental level, isn't it? I mean that must, that kind of situation screws people up. So is that really acceptance? That have they ever really accepted? Is there a real acceptance? If if you know is a, is a losing battle? If it's like you know you could assimilate and be like us, but you can't really assimilate and lose yourself. So are they really accepted? Would you say? Well, I think it's a very similar things which we still face today. Is that Europe wanted things from the Muslim world? They wanted the everything that the Muslim world represented in its heyday. They wanted the knowledge. Uh, After Mm. all, the Renaissance came through the Muslim world to Mm. Europe. And they wanted the artifacts, they wanted to trade, they wanted all these things. So therefore, there's this complicated relationship between desiring something, but hating the idea that you desire it, because you hate what those people are representing. Because Muslims had already been otherized right from the get-go, right from the time of Crusades. So that hadn't gone. So therefore, you know, where did that go? 
like we say, like in America with the far right, with this sort of resurgence of Trump and all this kind of stuff, is that uh, that sort of act, that mentality that created the slave trade and perpetuated America, obviously it still has uh, remnants which has deep roots. So therefore, in a, and in a flash it comes over, right? So therefore, this is what we're talking about, is that there's something which uh, Europe has been dealing with for all these centuries, and it just takes an instant mm. for it to be on the other side. I mean, Munira, you, you grew up in Bristol. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things, I guess, um, you know, after having been to Bristol a few times and learning a little bit, you realize that the streets you're walking through are streets that are built on the back of slave owners and slavery. And Bristol was one of uh, a key, Mm-mm-mm. a key British port in the in the in, in the slave trade. And and I guess there's this there's this when, when, you, when you talk about Homero uh, about history being alive. Um, you realize that that all that is around us. That 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 this nation, the empire on it was based was, was you know was built on on black and brown blood, um, and exploitation, and so in a way you know James Baldwin talks about it as well. He says that that you know you you want to understand the 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 the, the role of the of of, of the black man or woman in America, he said, just dig up the soil and mm. you'll find the blood there. So mm. history actually gives us a perspective of far more intertwined relationships than I think sometimes modernity allows us to feel, isn't it? I mean, growing up in Bristol, I don't know if you were, uh, if you felt that you were aware of that, yeah. that, that personal history. Go- growing up in Bristol, I was very, very much aware of that. And also, you know, just as a young person, you know, young person of Afro-Caribbean um, descent, walking around, seeing the streets named after, like, you know, Colston Hall, all of our most prized like, you know, places, buildings, street names, you know, were based on slavery. And knowing that as a child, that the insecurity that that brings and the conflict and even the resentment that that brings as well is something that's really powerful. But I guess, like, for me, that's why I speak about the thing about acceptance and, you know, I don't think my parents were ever accepted. I think they were definitely needed, you know, they were needed in a time, but I don't think you know they were ever accepted you know even for my parents they had no intentions of staying here for many people they had no intentions of staying here the intentions was that you come do what you need to do britain's built back and then you know you you go again so i think possibly the reason why we're facing so many struggles right now is because it wasn't supposed to be like this it wasn't supposed to be so many people here the empire not maybe in the way how it goes out and it colonizes places but it wasn't supposed to be this rich place of different cultures and diversity all sat in one place my opinion Mm. um uh, ramona i mean you you write about in in, particular in your journalism and Mm. you report about the experience of, of Muslims mm. in Britain and, and, and beyond in an incredibly confident and, and positive way. I, um, I try to be positive, but it is it is really complicated. It's so complicated. Even, you know, listening to Manira and Homera uh, talk about our kind of historical, it's like a conflict that's in, within us when we, when we talk about identity, talk about being proud Muslims in Britain or British Muslims. And, you know, even recently, we were only discovering stories about the First World War and the Second World War, you know, particularly in the First World War, when the 400,000 Muslims from the Indian Army fought for the British against the against the Ottoman Turks. And that is a parallel to Othello's or he has to go out there and fight against the Turks who are his, well, his Muslim brethren, really. So that conflict is really manifesting inside himself throughout. And I think that's why Iago knows that he has all these insecurities and he, he draws them out. He makes them surface and it's and it's it's scarily relevant as well to what we go through today in, in 21st century Britain. And, you know, I always say I'm proud. I always say I'm very confident. But in the background, I keep thinking about these questions about the British Raj. You know, my parents are from India. So, you know, all of those kind of uh, those conflicts and, and, and nuances are, are, are still part of our identity. Homera. Well, I think one of the things when, as you say, Munira, and you say, Romana, is that when you first, as somebody born and brought up in this country, come to terms with some of these things, that actually, while you're trying very hard to be accepted, the system actually doesn't accept you, or it accepts you by its interpretation, then you get to a point at uh, 
somewhere down the line where you feel angry about it and you want to be me and I don't want to be uh, defined by anybody else's definitions and uh, so there's a period that you go through and you you have to find yourself but what I found actually one of the hardest things and uh, to think about is the point where as a Muslim while I uh, because I'm standing here in Britain, this is the starting point. I'm looking at the British context of it. Mm. And I, uh, as so many young Muslims growing up in this country, don't have a clue really about our own history. We have to struggle with it. But then as over the years, as I've tried to look at history coming from the Muslim perspective, what was, how do I, as a Muslim, let's say if I was in the Muslim world, looking into a fellow like Othello how would I how do I feel about that mm. and of course the initial response by many Muslims is, oh my god he's been forced into this that he's been forced into becoming Christian and it becomes a Christian Muslim thing but you know then if you go back and create further into the backstory I'm asking myself what was happening in the Muslim world let's work on the premise that this guy was fleeing something of an injustice in the Muslim or something we don't know what was he fleeing from? What was happening? Mm. Uh, and I don't think that you, it's easy to be othered if you're strong in who you are. Mm. It's easier to be othered if you have some weaknesses or you have some weaknesses that can be exploited, right? So therefore, uh, therefore, system, uh, institutionally or s- systemically, there's something, somebody has found a chink in your armor. Mm. That's how you can be othered. And therefore, as a Muslim, I'm asking myself, the critical question is, uh, at this very critical point in history, Right uh, when Othello was written, when uh, when really I would say that we had already gone over the curve of the peak of the Islamic civilization. We were sort of beginning the unraveling. What was happening in our unraveling? What were we allowing to happen? And I think I first got a glimpse of this when I went to Cordoba mm-hmm. and to the Medina Tolzara just outside outside of the city. And apparently Cordoba at that time, it was about a 10-minute drive from Cordoba, apparently Cordoba was that wide. It was much bigger than it is. And then this city, this uh, place, was uh, epitomized by intense opulence mm-hmm. and I mean it's foundations only but you give it you're given a description of it and, I, and and what happened is that within 30 years of it being built it got destroyed by a, another Muslim principality or something like that and I thought just bloody typical of Muslims <laughs> isn't it you know they just are like today we see in the Arab world in particular we see uh, rich nations uh, coming and competing with each other they want to bring build higher towers or they want to build bigger theme parks rather than addressing what needs to be addressed. So therefore, um, you know, for me is I'm thinking, what's the backstory Mm. to this? Why is it there's this sort of chink in the Muslim Mm. world that's allowed us to be in such a situation. And that's exactly why the Crusades happened, because the Muslim world was so disunited. That's why they they launched them. Yeah. Well, I think about the, the, I mean, Malouf's book on the historical character Hassan al-Wazan, Leo the African, and you know who eventually ends up in the court of the of the Pope, but but he himself is from the Maghreb, sold into slavery by fellow Muslims, then resold into slavery to the Christians, and then re- people then recognize then in, it, it's only in the Vatican in Rome where he's recognized as a as a scholar as an erudite literate highly educated man that he's freed and then serves the Pope for many years as a Christian who becomes. Uh, who's a convert, and then eventually is freed and travels back to his uh, his Berber Maghrebian roots. And and when you hear that story, I think for, for many of us who may have grown up with uh, the ide- idealistic representations of Islam and, and Muslim civilization, this kind of breaks it down and says, there's slavery going on and there's Muslims taking other Muslims as slaves. There are Muslims who are selling other Muslims as slaves to the European powers, Portugal and Britain and, and others. And those slaves are ending up in Haiti and Cuba and eventually the United States. And so you're, I, I think I think you're absolutely right, Homera, to kind of turn the mirror back and say that that you know it's it's not just the history of the of the colonizer of the empire, but it's also the really unnerving elements of our own history which create the conditions for for individuals like Othello to 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 to, to emerge, and that that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> 
I want to I want to turn to this this the forbidden love for for for, for a moment. I know you raised it right at the right at the beginning, uh, Ramona, and and in our, the the conversation that we we're having before we turn the mics on, um, all of you kind of talked about really what is the what is the sort of the 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 critical dramatic moment in Othello, which which is the murder of Desdemona by Othello, and it's this act of of male violence that 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 takes place and and i want i wonder if you could unpack a little bit of what that element of this play means to you i guess as a man i i i've always imagined i've always wanted to see othello in the best way and especially with this particular interpretation we want to kind of save him as much as we can from from his own demons but but even for me watching the play again and getting to that point you're like oh man there's there's not much we can do to save this because it's 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 a horrible premeditated uh act act of murder i don't know who wants to jump in on that but it's a for for me it's a it's 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 a tough one but it's it's really important to, to kind of unpack I mean, I would again go to say that at the time that this play is happening in history, that we find that um, we are moving away, both in Europe and the Muslim world, from more sort of community-based, however much the systems may have been oppressive through feudalism or whatever, but you had people who were much more communal in the way that they uh, organise each other, and therefore men and women might have worked together a little bit more equitably. Uh, And so therefore you find uh, ourselves right at the peak of empire, both in the East and the West, you know, the West and the Ascendant and the Muslim and the Descendant. Uh, So therefore I think within that in particular you find women are commodified, Women become either represented as some kind of purist ideal. You find it in a lot of Muslim poetry where women are represented as uh, without blemish and the pure woman. And she, and she represents all the virtues of what men aspire to, not just sexually necessarily, but higher virtues of what we expect from society. This woman who caring and looks after and selfless, you know, uh, and is true in her love, regardless how many women the husband goes off with or the men go off with, whatever. So, and I think there were similar sort of parallels in European framework. So we find this shift sort of established at this time in history. And I think that as far as Islam is concerned, it's a massive downward spiraling from what is actually the core values of Islam, which is where women are central, both in faith, both in uh, aspirations in their lives, and how they choose to manifest this in the social environment. So therefore, to suddenly uh, be put into a situation where women are, women are idealized and demonized at the same time, two worst things you can do to people is idealize them and demonize them. Then they're no longer. That's human. exactly what Othello does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The absolutely. Play. Yeah. So he will compare her to the goddess Diana, yeah. who's like the god of the yeah. purity and yeah, the moon, yeah. and then he will then say, "But she's yeah. she is like a weed as yeah, well yeah. because of her infidelity." Yeah. So and it's you can really see his what's going on psychologically with him when he speaks yeah. about Desdemona. Yeah. And he's in conflict even like before he's about to kill her yeah. as well. So he he doesn't want to mark her her pure white skin with blood. Yeah. So that's why he smothers. Yeah her instead um, so it's it's really interesting the interplay of race as well uh, within that and his insecurities about his own skin colour because he, he refers to himself as dirty and he says you know that her him, infidelity is as black as his own face so it's really interesting how that is used to turn into a uh, a moment of domestic violence, which yeah. is what you mentioned earlier. But well I think before. that what we're seeing, as far as from a race point of view, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think we have to be cautious before we racialize it in our current thinking. I think the, uh, we are at the sort of uh, sort of border between the sort of colonized uh, sort of actual racialized stratas that were developed. So therefore, uh, the idea of black and white, and because you have to remember in Elizabethan times, you had the very whitening of through with lead of, 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 of for example, the queen. She was always, uh, they're all seen with this whitening. So there's this juxtapositioning in a sort of European Christian context of white and black meaning something else mm. right so therefore you know so therefore there's an extreme whiteness and an extreme darkness mm. but not in the racialized sense that we mean today that came a little later but i think that um you know that i think in the same that we we, we talk in a muslim christian european sense we have this male female dynamic mm. 
of women uh, not being othered in that sense, but this idealizing, yeah. demonizing, purity. So, which so, is so, so therefore, important. really, what it means to me that women by this time were really insignificant in the public arena. You are listening to the Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amul, a project of the Saeed Foundation. To keep up to date with ETT's work, visit www.ett.org.uk and sign up to their mailing list. Upcoming shows include Rules for Living by Sam Holcroft and The Weir by Conor McPherson, touring UK venues this autumn. And now for the conclusion of our podcast. I mean, Desdemona's character, uh, particularly in this production, is is incredibly confident. And um, Nora Holden, who who, who plays it, um, I think I think with with in, in incredible um, genius, uh, really is able to turn on and off the. The, the 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 young woman coming into her own at the same time a, a savvy woman who understands the um, the way a male society 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 works and it's like it's that itself is so difficult I mean you talked earlier Munira about the challenges of belonging and not belonging and assimilation which 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 everyone has kind of picked up and affirmed but I imagine that. As a as a woman, Desdemona is also going through that, and I, I mean, I mean, your experience, and and, and I know a little bit about it because we've we've worked together, um, particularly in arts and culture environments, is that there was a lot of pushback <laughs> against Moira Williams and the amazing people that you worked with because you were a female performer um, from at times a very conservative Muslim community, let alone, you know. A broader uh, community in, uh, of of our of, of, of community of audiences mm-hmm. who may or may not have re- responded negatively to to you. How does this issue of women, and particularly the, the changing roles and and perspectives, um, resonate with you? Um, witnessing it or reading, you know, it, it's frustrating. I mean, like from my point of view, it's frustrating, but um, seeing it in Othello, um, is frustrating. But I definitely think it is rooted in the insecurities of Othello. I think it's definitely rooted in his fears of himself and what he thinks of his about himself in regards to race, in regards to religion, in regards to like being, you know, from from you know the Muslim countries or what have you, I think is definitely rooted in him. But I think that like, you know, um, his wife, um, Desdemona, I think she, 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 she's aware of that. And I think the way how she walks that line of sort of like being even like, you know, in, in Othello, when he slaps her in front of in publicly in front of people, you know, she doesn't really retaliate or anything like that. You know, the way how she defends him in the initial stages of the play, um, when she proclaims her love, she's not frightened, she's not scared. And I think about that in a different context, you know, had that been like the betrayal of, you know, someone from my Caribbean background or even someone from like um, a Muslim, a more typically Muslim background, how would that have went down? I think the way how she portrayed is pretty strong actually, even though she is, um, you know, she faces all of these different things coming from Othello and being a woman within that society um speaking for myself I all I can say is I'm not as graceful as Desdemona <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I, I think we're all the better for it yeah <laughs> because it's been yeah. tough at times yeah it has been it has been you know and um having criticism on both sides you know having criticism from a muslim perspective having criticism from a non-muslim perspective but like again in recent years i'm not sure what's changed within muslim communities but like within the last five years i've noticed that the comments have gotten a lot more ugly you know it's almost like the more pressure that is put onto muslims to you know prove how British you are or to prove that you are not an enemy of the state or what have you is the more ugly Muslims or some Muslims have become towards the people who are out there in the public you know whereas before it would be messages just like sister you know maybe you should think about what you're doing or sister you're leading people to hellfire maybe you should look up (laughs) think about what you're doing now it's been like you know um, ISIS has eyes everywhere you know death threats rape threats all sorts of things so I, I don't know what has happened in the in the last five years, but I think that thing that you said earlier on about fear, 
the more fear that there is, the collective fear, I think the uglier things get. And I think that happens in your fellow as well. But I think what I would say to that is that what these five years has been, has been this dominance of social media. Mm. And I think in a sense, you could almost argue that the back players, Iago and the other players behind who are all having a different relationship, it's almost like a social media. Mm. They it's are, like Iago is they like are WhatsApping each news. other and giving each other <laughs> different Iago information. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so they've got these feeds and they're saying that, and, and, and Desdemona is the victim in this. Mm. Uh, and they feel like you see sometimes on these webs, uh, on, on Facebook, whatever, these men hiding behind the screen, you don't see them. Mm. And they feel they have the freedom to de- demonize and say nasty things. Uh, and so therefore, in a sense, you'd say from, as a, from an Islamic point of view, that's why there's such harsh repercussions for those who slander. Mm. Right, slandering is seen as one of the worst crimes, actually, yeah, in a, a Quranic a context. Spiritual atrocity. So it's interesting that given that these people feel free to go and slander endlessly, that this is something not acceptable. But I think this is most probably the the new addition to the way the world runs these days. And I would make that connection to. Is, that is, isn't it that classic sense um, of, of 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 the woman being put on the pedestal as the defender of the honor of a society? Mm. And and you know that's where the almost like the, the you know the, the the first wall of defense uh, for whatever body politic or ideology or theology or empire or city state may be may be under under attack. So that's also a paradox. There's there's marginalization, exclusion, sexism, misogyny, violence, and yet the woman is seen as the defender and the first line of defense against the 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 other um in the way that you were talking about that that that, that dangerous the dangerous other that's out there and the fact that that still happens that that still happens and 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 we and we even see i mean mean, it's not just a muslim thing but i think we see it happen in like any kind of patriarchal or male dominated structure is is that is that women continue to be the 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 pawns of that that are put out to negotiate power but this is why i think that uh, a lot is made about women in society and of course there are issues there but i think the challenge that we face as was said earlier by manira about mental health issues I think that we can possibly, I could possibly put a case that men created their own bed and they're lying in it. So therefore, this sort of psychological disconnect by men and this uh, increase in domestic violence and the freedom men feel that they have to either be violence or murder for any slight misdemeanor a woman does. I mean, she doesn't put the butter on the bread lightly, could quite easily trigger off a violent reaction. So the fact that men feel, uh, so therefore, you know, people who oppress always oppress those they see weaker, right? So therefore, I think that in a sense, the question that we must ask ourselves today, as we would have asked in those days, is what is the mental state of this man? What have they created? A world which is dominated by the military, a mm. world that is dominated by acquisition of wealth and power, uh, uh, and this sort of strategic manipulation of people of religious sort of uh, uh, fossilization uh, and these things. So therefore, you know, the question I would ask is, uh, this: these are man-made, this is men, not man-human in that sense. Yeah. It's, it's men, male sex, who have created this world. And as I say, as a woman, I would say to myself, if I'm being very self-critical, is that while perhaps women haven't had the power, but why didn't women stand up stronger over the centuries during these difficult times? Why did we allow ourselves to lean out rather than lean in in these things? And I think in a sense it's easy just to make a dialectic between men and women or Muslims and Christians or East and West, Europe and Muslim world, whatever. But at the end of the day, there must be a a two-way responsibility to say, how did this happen and therefore how do we resolve it? Mm. Ramona, what do you make of that? Oh, well, um, I think with uh, Desdemona being this kind of almost like sacrificial lamb that's led to the altar at the end, but at the same time, as you're saying in this new production, she is this strong woman. There is always this conflict throughout the play with every single character. And uh, she she almost allows Othello to kill her in a way. And like it's he I feel like she represents the goodness as well the goodness in the world and the goodness in him and then he takes that away and he then puts out his own life because he talks about putting out the light it, doesn't she until mm. almost the end yeah she believes that that he is better and that shows that. resilience and that shows 
you know, steadfast belief in him and that he didn't even have in himself. So in that way, she is a much stronger figure. There's only three female characters in Othello. Mm. Uh, Desdemona, Amelia, Amelia, and Bianca. And Bianca is supposed to be this courtesan who, uh, I mean, um, when when our listeners go and watch the the play... um, Bianca is, is amazingly and beautifully played by Hayat Kamali, an Iraqi-British actress, and she plays it with a lot of swagger and power and, 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 and kind of knowing that being in that kind of courtesanal environment amongst these military men, she learns how to, how to influence and play, but also to know what her heart wants. And I, and, I, and I feel like in this production, in a way, you know more what Amelia and Desdemona and Bianca want because they're, they're kind of actualized. But, but I don't think we've always, uh, we've always sort, of, sort of seen that. Just as we're sort of sort of coming down in, in the last few minutes that that we have, um, I want I want to switch tracks a little bit because, I mean, some of you like like Manira, you've been engaged in artistic and cultural production yourself and facilitating that. Homera, you you pioneered uh, in some ways community Muslim community arts in in the United Kingdom, whether that was in bringing people of, of, of Afro-Caribbean and South Asian Muslim heritage together or working with film and theater. And, 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 and Ramona, over the last few years, I know arts, fashion, and, 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 and culture have been a really important part of the work that you've been doing and now as, a, as one of the advisors to the, to, the, uh, to the Amal Fund of the Said Foundation. So all of you have been engaged in the, in the work of, of, of art and cultural production. And I, and I guess... Where I'd like to kind of finish our conversation is a, is, is a reflection on on where we're at when it comes to, to to Muslim culture and Muslim cultural production and 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 what do we see at this moment where we have productions like Othello, we have arts funds that are emerging, we have innovative work that's happened for twenty thirty years that hasn't been celebrated enough, but it's been there, it's been happening. What does what does this moment tell us about the importance? Of 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 culture and cultural production to the future of 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 our of our identity in the broadest possible way that is in all of its diversity of Muslims, but also a, a kind of contribution to the cultural landscape that we're in. I know it's a big question, but but Munira, maybe I can I'm kind of start with you as the as the as the artist in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think. For me, the most important thing, as I said, I started off saying that I didn't see myself in Othello. I didn't see myself in so many different things, um, you know, arts related, you know, in school, English. I didn't think history was about me. I didn't feel included. So I think, you know, there are so many things that are out there, but I think there needs to be um, an emphasis, emphasis on engagement and not just engagement, uh, but also um, developing um, things that are community-led and trying to um, really get get to different communities so that people are able to see themselves. And I think people will only have an invested stake in something when they are able to see themselves. If there is a space, whether it's a theatre space, whether it's a TV programme, whatever it is, if people don't feel invested or represented or seen in that in some way, um, I feel like it just... It just they just won't see themselves in it and they won't feel invested in it. Therefore, they won't contribute towards it. And I think that's a really big problem. Are you, are you seeing more of yourself in cultural work that's going on? I mean, you're a producer yourself. Yeah. And obviously, you are totally invested in that work. Yeah. But, but as, a, as, a, as someone who, 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 who travels through the cultural spaces yeah. of, of London and beyond, do you mm. see yourself more now? I think I do see myself more. Um, and this isn't to, you know, like sound like, well, you know, I've done amazing work. But I think part of the reason why I'm seeing myself more is because as Poetic Pilgrimage, as myself as an artist, as an individual, I feel like we've inspired many people. And also we've broken down a lot of doors, which has allowed other people to to um, to come in and to represent themselves. That's not to say that that didn't exist before, but I wasn't aware of that. And maybe being or occupying a, a, a space where art exists, maybe you become more aware of various different things. But I feel like I'm seeing myself more, but I know that's because I've worked hard to see myself, you know. So, yeah. Amara, what, what is the... 
does this cultural moment bear bear good hope and good fortune you feel for the future i think i feel both optimistic and anxious at the same time mm. and i think to say that just because suddenly let's say in mainstream there's a recognition there's a desire to bring muslims in doesn't mean to say that muslims haven't been doing all this stuff since i can possibly ever remember uh but Absolutely. they because for muslims to be uh they were maybe shy from going to the mainstream because they thought there was too much to lose by going into mainstream so now as the doors are opening for a muslim expression um what can i what concerns me is that as in uh, othello in order to be in this christian european world he has to leave so much of him behind so what is it that he's willing to sacrifice to be a player in this field uh because they still judge him according to certain things and i think that one of the things i always said to myself growing up because i remember when i was a teenager the moment i left my shoes outside the door in order to be part of mainstream society so therefore you know i knew and therefore the schism developed so how can muslims be and any minority group not just muslims i don't think it's unique uh even amongst white english indigenous people there are people who feel that like they're leaving their shoes outside the door so i think we have to ask ourselves in this very post religious secular pluralistic society how do people feel that they go into the mainstream with their shoes on mm. and i think that as a muslim uh uh we should be allowed to have as much diversity as is accepted as as acknowledged in white mainstream and what i really object to is the idea that only a few kind of muslim expressions is seen to be bona fide in mainstream something that white people are comfortable with mm. right but we have things that are difficult also uh, and people are expressing art themselves through art in a difficult way as much as in a cohesive way but this is all part of we should be allowed our difference and our diversity we should be allowed the universe that we occupy as ourselves and then we see how do we negotiate uh, and it seems to me at the moment only white people are allowed to have all those differences mm-hmm. of expression we can go from uh somebody doing a fascist art piece to somebody <laughs> doing something very libertarian and things like that but that's seen okay and acceptable within the spectrum and that's Be- what i would like to see because that that ecosystem is large and yeah. and sometimes our ecosystem is yeah. seen as yeah. small but but you're right in actual fact ours is as diverse yeah. as complicated yeah. as confusing and that's actually a strength isn't it because yeah. there's so many interesting powerful voices i mean that's a profound point ramona and i know you've been And that's I mean, definitely we, I echo that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean we've been contending uh, <laughs> with that at, at, at Amal, haven't we? But, yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But, but yeah, how do you, so as an observer of of of, mm. of the cultural space, how, how do you view mm. that? I am really excited about this evol- evolution, really, of, of the of British cultural landscape. And Othello is really testament to that. The new production of Othello, because it's, as I said before, it is just it's disturbing play. It does. rise up uh, anxieties but also it's very exciting it's dramatic and i think that's what arts and culture are also all about it's about navigating all of those challenges and really exploring the, the human condition and i think that through muslim arts and cultures we are expanding the horizons now of of the cultural scene and you know if if it's not us then then who is it who's going to speak for us so munira is a, a prime example of that she's diversifying the entire landscape right now you don't have to look to others to do it we've got it right here in the room so i'm really excited i think that there is a lot of opportunity and a lot of promise and i and i think and i think to to harness all of that we 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 all have to be pushing pushing for the envelope to be bigger and pushing for the space and more compli- we're complicated and that's good I, I, I think it is good. If, if, if this if this conversation <laughs> says anything, it's not just that we're complicated, but incredibly and 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 powerfully prescient. And what a what a really interesting and profound conversation. I, I want to thank you, Munira. I want to thank you, Homera. I want to thank you, Ramona, for for being uh, for being part of this and for 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 giving us um, a lot to mull over. And I'm and I'm and I'm sure we'll be talking about. all the themes that you've raised for not just months but years decades to come this is this is life work and all of you guys are doing it so thank you very much thank you thank you you've been listening to the Othello project created by English Touring Theater with support from Amal a project of the Said Foundation special thanks to Homera 
Ramona and Munira for helping us navigate some of the really thorny issues that this play and that this production raises. As you can well imagine, the conversation continued long after the tape stopped rolling. Special thanks also to Ellie Isherwood for recording and sound design and to the incredible team at ETT for pulling this all together. Special kudos goes to the ETT team for an incredible Othello Project Day. We had a full day of celebration at Wilton's Music Hall of artistic responses, of film, of panels, and none of that would have been possible without their incredible support and the incredible support of the artists who came along to join us. Othello finished its run at Wilton's Music Hall on the 3rd of June. I've been your host, Abdul Rahman Malik. Now, as I said at the top of the program, this is supposed to be our last podcast in this series, but I'm not quite ready to let go of Othello, this production, or this podcast quite yet. So you may very well be hearing some programs coming up uh, over the next few weeks. All the podcasts in this series can be found on iTunes or your favorite Android podcast tool by searching The Othello Project or by visiting www.ett.org.uk. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. It helps new listeners discover these rich and profound conversations. It's been a pleasure for me and an honor for me to host this series of podcasts. I hope we can continue to do them, and I hope we can continue to unpack the important, powerful, thorny, and provocative issues that Othello raises. Till then, I'm Abdul Rahman Malik. Thank you for joining us.